Blog Talk Radio. to another edition of Holy Trinity Bible Chapel podcast. I would invite you, if you have not checked out our website yet, at holytrinityrockhill.org. That's holytrinityrockhill.org. We are a new church plant in the Rock Hill area. We are a Reformed Baptist church holding to the 1689 London Baptist Confession and I uh, would love to have you join us. We meet Sunday mornings at 9.30 for our education hour. And actually just finished doing a six-week course in church history with Timothy George. And we'll spend the next uh, several weeks looking at Christianity and Islam. So if you're in the Rock Hill area, we would love to have you join us. Again, education hour starts at 9.30. Holy Communion service starts at 1045, where we worship God through hymns, uh, confession of creeds, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, and expository preaching going verse by verse through the scriptures. You can also find us on Facebook at Holy Trinity Bible Chapel. Uh, We're on there. We put our sermons on there. We put articles on there regularly, videos, etc. So I would love to have you join us. Uh, Feel free, if you have questions, you can contact us either on the Facebook page or email myself at sola.scripture at yahoo.com. That's sola.scripture at yahoo.com. If you go to our website, we have our address listed on there, as well as uh, the phone number uh, where you can reach us. Today, we're going to have a special uh, guest speaker, Colton Guffey, and this past, not not yesterday, but the Sunday before was uh, Pentecost Sunday, and so he did a wonderful message for us uh, called The Holy Spirit, The Revealer. So without further ado, I'll hand it over to Colton. (laughs) 
Okay, so today we're going to be looking at a passage out of 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> and as Devin said, this is the Holy Spirit, the revealer. Um, the Spirit reveals the wisdom of God, his redemptive historical work in history to his people. So let's go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 1 through 16. This is Paul speaking uh, or writing to the church in Corinth. He says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do not oh, excuse me, but among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human understanding, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For those, excuse me, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So I am a fan of uh, the movie The Sixth Sense. Uh, which is a movie written and directed by N. Night Shyamalan. This was uh, put out, I think, uh, when I was in high school or such. Um, and that movie is one of the movies that everyone knows the twist. If you have not seen the movie, I do apologize, uh, because it is uh, the illustration that I chose to share with you guys today. Basically, the movie is about a boy who goes to see a child psychologist, who is uh, portrayed by Bruce Willis. The boy goes and is having these awful visions, or so Bruce Willis believes. And so he gets to know him. Bruce Willis is having trouble with his uh, wife at the moment. His wife seems to be ignoring him, uh, doesn't seem to be paying him any attention. So Bruce Willis believes that his marriage is in shambles. He's struggling with this and puts, puts forth a lot of effort into helping this boy. At the end of the movie, we have a revelation that the boy actually is seeing dead people. And the revelation is that Bruce Willis himself has actually been dead the entire time. 
The interesting thing is when you go back and watch the movie a second time, you can see little hints and clues that M. Night Shyamalan put in the picture. So at the beginning of the movie, Bruce Willis is, um, his house is broken into by one of his former patients and is actually shot. But you're led to believe that Bruce Willis lived. In actuality, he was shot and he died from the bullet wound. But throughout the movie, Bruce Willis is only wearing the same clothes he wore the night of his death. So he has a T-shirt that you only see him wear. He has a suit that he only wears. And then he has this uh, uh, sweatshirt. Uh, that he wears, and that's the only thing he wears the entire movie. But M. Night Shyamalan's so clever in the way that he does this that it's not easily seen unless you understand the end of the movie. Also, you notice the color red everywhere on a doorknob into a basement that Bruce Willis can't get into. Also, you notice that his wife isn't ignoring him. His wife literally is living her life because Bruce is dead. So we see these things because of the revelation at the end of the movie. We are now given a new pair of glasses, a more informed lens to rewatch the movie and see all these subtle hints leading up to the climax of the film. So today I want to apply that or see how that relates to our reading of scripture and of God's work in the historical redemptive history. So when we look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, we see that verse 1 mentions the word testimony. But this word testimony can also be translated as mystery or secret. See, Paul did not come using persuasive language and Greek rhetoric of the day to convince the Corinthians of the gospel. Instead, he allowed the Spirit to work through him to reveal to them the, quote, mystery or secret or testimony of God. Paul did not depend upon the wisdom of man, but depended on the Holy Spirit to reveal his wisdom so that the church at Corinth's faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Leon Morris in his First Corinthians uh, commentary uh, in the Tyndall New Testament commentary series says, preaching the gospel is not delivering edifying discourses. Beautifully put together, it is bearing witness to what God has done in Christ for salvation. The ESV Study Bible says uh, on this passage on page uh, 2194, it says, Mere intellectual persuasion does not save people. Saving faith is produced by the heart-changing power of the Holy Spirit as the gospel is proclaimed. Okay, sorry about that. Looks like Paul trusts in the power of the gospel, God's saving work in history, and his revelation from the Spirit to save people, not rhetoric and flowery speech. So verses 6 through 9, Paul gives us three points in these verses. Number one, the wisdom of this age, Paul's time historical but also in our time, is not the wisdom that he imparts. Point number two, the rulers of this age who were doomed to pass away did not have the wisdom, nor did they understand or they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And point number three, Paul and the apostles, or and the apostles impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. 
So three questions come to mind here. Number one, what is the wisdom of this age? Number two, why did the rulers of the age not understand this wisdom? And three, what is this secret and hidden wisdom of God? So to answer number one, the wisdom of the age refers to wisdom not imparted by the Spirit. Wisdom comes from man. Wisdom that comes from man, pardon me. We have a corrupted spirit, and therefore our desires will always seek out sinful fulfillment. The natural man will always seek out natural things. Question, I mean, the answer to question number two, why did the rulers of the age not understand the wisdom? John Piper answers this question better than I, so here I will quote him from a uh, sermon that he did uh, on this verse. He says, in answer to our first question then, who cannot receive or know the wisdom of God, which Paul speaks, our answer would be people who are so enamored by the wisdom that leads to power and acclaim that they do not recognize Jesus as the Lord of glory. These cannot receive God's wisdom. It is not simply being in a position of power that closes one off to this wisdom. God has chosen to save powerful people and to give some of his people earthly power. It is not having power but hunger for power that blinds a person to the glory of God in the suffering Messiah. It is not having a claim among men, but hungering for that acclaim that makes Jesus as he is unbelievable. In John chapter 5, 42 through 44, Jesus exposed why the Jewish leaders of his day could not believe him. Verse 42 begins, But I know that you do not have the love of God within you, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Or to put it another way, this is Piper again, or to put it another way, you can't believe on Jesus as the Lord of glory when you are more eager to maintain your own glory than you are to seek and find God's. So my answer is number three. What is the secret and hidden wisdom of God? In the book Hidden But Now Revealed by G.K. Beale and Benjamin Glad, a wonderful book, they say that the secret and hidden wisdom of God, which was decreed before the ages for our glory, is actually defined as the full revelation of God's partially hidden wisdom in the Old Testament. So this term testimony, uh, mystery, secret hidden wisdom can be defined as the full revelation of God's partially hidden wisdom in the Old Testament. So why does Paul consider this a secret and hidden wisdom? Well, Beal and Glad state, in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and verse 7, the revealed mystery is the paradoxical event of the crucifixion. Christ, at the moment of his death, became the sovereign king. In the first century, the cross was the symbol of rejection and cursing. Deuteronomy 21-23 is a passage associated with the cross in the first century and quoted by Paul in Galatians 3-13 in reference to Christ. Deuteronomy 21-22-23 states, If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, then he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree— for he who is hanged is accursed of God. 
See, the cross symbolizes utter rejection and being accursed by God, the epitome of shame. So while Jesus is suffering a shameful death on the cross, he is simultaneously the supreme divine leader, ruler. Therefore, the making known of a mystery in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and 7, is the Messiah, divine Lord of glory, reigning at the same time he is defeated and accursed. So we see here that the mystery is Jesus Christ becoming king, king through rejection, suffering, and being accursed. Gordon Fee writes of this passage, one may have a Messiah or one may have a crucifixion, but one may not have both, at least not from the perspective of a merely human understanding. Messiah meant power, splendor, triumph. Crucifixion meant weakness, humiliation, defeat. The Old Testament gave hints about the coming Messiah, but never was this much revealed of God's plan. But God's plan has been set from the before the beginning of time. So speaking of this coming Messiah, there's a book that uh, I'm a teacher here in Rock Hill at uh, Providence Classical School, and my students and I this year read a book entitled The Bronze Bow, which is about a Jewish kid named Daniel, or he's more of like a teenager, uh, who lives in the uh, time of Jesus, and he's actually been following this rebel leader named Rosh, who is very much a military strength overpowering kind of guy, where his ideals are um, based on overthrowing the Roman government in Israel at this time, to overthrow them, to take back the land through force. And so Daniel is following Rosh because the Romans actually killed Daniel's father. And so his motivation is revenge as well as freedom. And so he's following this man, Roche. And then out of nowhere, this new teacher around town named Jesus comes around. And we see that Daniel is looking for the Messiah, and he sees what's happening with Roche. And he wants to follow him because he believes this is how God's going to save his people. He's going to save them by a mighty hand, like Roche, who's taken over by power. A man who is determined to save the Jewish people. But when he hears Jesus, he sees forgiveness. He sees loving our neighbors. He sees loving our enemies. And this is a difficult choice for Daniel. It's a difficult choice for all humanity, which is why the Holy Spirit has to reveal it to us. So we see that in the intertestamental uh, period, there's writings in the Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha of different ideas about the coming Messiah, the coming Savior here, who's going to save the people from exile, from this oppression by the Romans. So this is not something that the Jewish people at the time were not looking forward to. They absolutely were. Now we need to remember that God's plan has been set from before the beginning of time. If you would, open your Bibles to Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. I'll go ahead and turn there as well. And uh, we will look at this passage, which shows us 
how God's plan has been from the beginning. We begin in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth in the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we see here that this plan for Jesus to be made king through his crucifixion and for his people to be brought into him and for the Holy Spirit to grant us understanding has been the plan from before the beginning of time. In verses 10 through 13, Paul is telling the church at Corinth that this mystery is only revealed by the Holy Spirit. Only the Spirit knows the depths of God as he is the Spirit of God. He knows the thoughts and plans of God from all history to all of eternity. Those who are spiritual have not received a wisdom from the world, but from the Spirit of God, the person, the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. The Spirit who was there at the creation of everything and knows all the depths of God because he is God. The Spirit reveals so that his people may understand everything the Lord has done for their salvation and for God's own glory. So I want to take a quick look here at the use of we in verses 12 and 13. See, there are two ways to interpret the we, and I'll go ahead and uh, reread those to refresh our memories. Paul says, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual Okay, he says in verse 12, that was verse 13. In verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. I apologize for reading those out of order. So with the we here, some believe that it is referring to Christians generally, while others hold that Paul is referring to the apostles in the we. John Piper states that uh, we may not be able to know for certain who Paul is referring to here, but I, like Piper, hold that the we is referring to the apostles who were given authority from the Spirit to speak truth and who passed down that authority in the New Testament. 
Piper concludes that the argument Paul is making here is, God gave us the Holy Spirit to reveal to us apostles, things no one ever imagined. And now, in turn, as God's inspired and authoritative spokesman, we speak in words taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to spiritual people. So when we hear or read the testimony of the apostles and prophets, we can understand this wisdom because of the Spirit who indwells us. Lastly, in verses 14 and 16, to the natural person, those that are not spiritual are born of the Spirit. They consider the wisdom of God as folly. A little life uh, illustration here from my own personal life. See, I've struggled with anxiety in the recent past. A lot of my anxieties have manifested themselves in a phobia that my heart was going to quit while I worked out or exercised. <laughs> I also had a fear that I was having a heart attack or stroke almost every day. Now, it is extremely rational, I know, but that is a part of anxiety. See, my doctors have told me that I needed to exercise because that would strengthen my heart. I felt that when I exercised that my heart would beat extremely rapidly and that it was going to do more damage to my heart. So see, in my irrational state of mind, it was more likely that I would survive by not working out than if I did. So for me, sitting on the couch all day and resting so I have a low heart rate because I'm not moving was actually more healthy for me than for me to get up and exercise and to be very mobile and to do heavy lifting and do all of these things that the doctors have said for all of history that I can remember that it is better for you because it builds strength. But because of my irrational thinking, the doctor's wisdom was folly to me. See, those who seek power and hunger for the wisdom of man will not see a crucified man as savior and certainly not king. But he who has the spirit is able to discern the workings of God throughout history and accept this crucified Christ as their Lord and savior. The church, who was the body of Christ, have the mind of Christ and are able to understand the plan of God because of the revelation given to us by the Holy Spirit. We are able to trust in the teachings of the apostles in the New Testament and the prophets in the Old Testament because we have received the same Spirit that inspired those writings. Through the Spirit, we are able to see that the climax of the story of salvation was Jesus Christ being crucified, dying in our place, and being established as king in his, re uh, in his resurrection. So now, we can reread the story of salvation with a more informed lens. Just as the revelation in the sixth sentence at the end, but we realize that Bruce Willis is dead. We can now see the rest of the story in a second viewing in a different, more informed light. The author has given us a more well-informed lens. He shed a new light on not just the rest of the story, but on everything in the past. When Jesus came and Jesus taught, and the Holy Spirit inspired the apostles, we now have a new light to look, not just back 
at certain stories, but of the whole work and act of God in history. See, when we read the Old Testament, I've seen preachers and I've heard Christians say that they don't like to read the Old Testament. They like to just preach Jesus. And I'm like, man, read the Old Testament. Preach out of the Old Testament and you're preaching Jesus. The Old Testament is so beautiful because when you look back, you get to see the promises that God has made for his people and see how Jesus is our Messiah, our Savior, and he has rescued us from exile. Not just the Jewish people in the land, but us, those of us who are trapped in sin, which is every human alive. So how do we apply this to our lives? Well, I have three points here. Number one, we do not have to be scared to preach the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified is enough to convict sinners of their sin. We do not have to worry about making elegant presentations, nor do we need to worry about sounding foolish. Because saving faith is based on the revelation of the Holy Spirit, not our ability to persuade people. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's sinful to try to present the gospel in an educated way. It's not sinful to try to read and learn and become more educated or to work on certain uh, rhetorical skills. That's, those aren't bad things. But does someone's salvation rest on those things? Absolutely not. Those things will not convince someone of the Holy Spirit I mean, of the gospel, unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to them. Number two, we can trust everything in Scripture because the Holy Spirit that inspired it also illuminates or illumines us when we read it. So as we read Scripture, understand that the author of that Scripture in the spiritual sense is also the one who reveals the truth to us. He lives within us. We need, point three, we need to live a life of gratitude for God for the fact that he has chosen us to reveal his eternal wisdom. Now, I know that that seems common sense, but how often do I not live a life of gratitude when I think about the enormous truth of the blessing that God has given me. Not only has he given me salvation from my sin, but he has revealed truth to us, to me, that uh, there is no reason that I deserve that. He lavishes blessings upon us. One of those blessings is that we get to know truth, that we get to look and we get to see the workings and the thoughts of God throughout history. God has obligated himself to us out of no other reason than that he loves us and out of his grace and mercy and for his own glory. So my challenge this week for all of us is, number one, that we share the good news of Jesus Christ reigning as king this week. I don't care where you are. I don't care what, how long you've been a Christian, how much education you have, or how well you speak. 
Share the good news of Jesus Christ reigning as king this week because it is truth and because every person needs to hear it. How will they know if they've never heard? And you know what? Don't worry about sounding foolish. If scripture is true, everything in it, then guess what? What you're saying, that Jesus Christ is king, is truth. And even if they see it as folly, no matter how painful that may feel, understand that God is in control. We are to be obedient, not because we have to, but because we want to. Dwelling on this fact of how beautiful God is and how gracious he has been to us and how much gifts he pours on us, share Jesus in that light. And secondly, my challenge is for us to read the Bible this week as someone who has been given the gift of wisdom. Man, we have been given this gift, so let's not use our Bibles in a very trivial way, but understand that they are beautiful only because they show the glory of God. Do not get me wrong. Don't think that I'm saying the Bible is all glorious. I'm saying that it reflects God's glory. Let's learn about God. Let's, in our prayer time this week, let's not just pray and ask that God speak to us in some miraculous way, but let's read the Bible and hear what God has already said to us. Let that word seep into our lives, seep into our souls, and just know that this is incredible. We have an incredible gift here. Thank you guys very much. I hope you guys have a blessed week. Um, Let us close out in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for you for planning everything from the beginning for your glory and for allowing us to be a part of that. Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit who reveals your revelation. But I thank you for your triune nature that we have these different persons working for your glory. Lord, I pray that you help us to be bold in our lives this week as we go out and we we interact with everyone in our lives and that they not see just a human being living, but that they see a person who has been saved, a sinner who is undeserving, but yet who has joy because they know the beauty of you. Lord, I pray that our lives are not wasted this week, that we do not sit around and dwell on our own problems or dwell on things that aren't of eternal importance, but that you remind us that you are all important, that our lives are meant for you. And Lord, I pray that we live them out in such a way that you are glorified, Lord, that your name is proclaimed and that our lives are for your service. I thank you for Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have through him. In your precious name I pray. Amen.